Mark Boucher. My guest this week is James Sleefords, CEO of Skywatch. James got his start in winning the NASA Global Space App Challenge in 2014. He then went on to create Skywatch to take that initial software idea and develop it into a commercial product. In 2016, his company took the lead in organizing the Space App Challenge for the Waterloo region. Last year, they brought on board the Canadian Space Agency as a partner. And being announced today, after a little over three and a half years of winning the NASA's Global Space App Challenge, Skywatch has closed its seed financing, raising 3.2 million US. Welcome, James, to the SpaceQ podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Mark. All right. So, with new space companies in particular, I usually get into a little bit of the background um, because there are a lot of people out there who listen to this who are interested in potentially starting their own company. So I get into a little bit of those details. So let's start with the NASA Space Apps Challenge you won in 2014. Why did you get involved in that event to start with? Uh, it's a it's a great story. It kind of it, it speaks to the importance, I believe, of such a uh, an event like the NASA Space Apps Challenge. Um, me and a few friends, we had recently uh, taught ourselves how to how to code, how to how to build software on our own, um, and we had heard about the NASA Space Apps Challenge, and we were um, excited about it because we were space enthusiasts, but we didn't work in the space industry, and we saw this as our opportunity to finally get involved in and build something uh, for NASA in particular at the time. And so, yeah, we wanted to, to do a few things. We wanted to test the new skills that we had developed, which was software development. And we wanted to see if we could build something cool for NASA, which is what the, uh, the event ended up achieving for us. So how did it lead you to creating Skywatch? You won the Space Apps Challenge, and this was the global challenge. This wasn't the regional. This was everybody in the world. How did that lead then to Skywatch? Yeah, so we could jump from the fact that we just participated in the event, which was held simultaneously in uh, just over 90 different cities around the world, uh, to the fact that a few months later, we ended up making it to the final global stage, uh, beating out over 650 other projects. And we ended up winning the competition globally for, um, for a product that at the time we were calling Skywatch, which was, in our minds, pretty remarkable. It was a, a, um, a platform or a piece of software that allowed anybody in the world to receive notifications about um, particular events that NASA was um, capturing on their space observatories in near real time. So if you were interested in getting notifications about particular supernovae, uh, black holes, quasars, magnetars, etc., you could um, subscribe to this notification system and we would provide you with notifications um, within 25 seconds of that event being captured from uh, NASA Space Observatories. So this, um, this ended up being a, a, uh, a pretty, it was viewed as a pretty important breakthrough in how NASA thought about getting this data out to its constituents as well as to, to any stakeholders that were interested in this data. And it led us to believing not that that in particular was um, was a huge business opportunity, but that there was a large business opportunity in space data in general. Um, it was an, through this program, through this challenge, we were introduced to the space industry uh, at a much more intense level, and we began to understand the. Um, this was again 2014, so it, it had already begun, but we were we were understanding and seeing the shift that the industry was taking from being um, very government focused to moving towards a, um, a privatized model or one that was being led by the private industry. And we saw that um, data that was being managed within, um, within space agencies and, and even within um, some of the older satellite companies uh, was not managed particularly well and not managed in a, in, a, in a way that would allow anybody in the world to really leverage it because the data was incredible. It, it had the potential to be incredibly useful and powerful 
and yet it remained very siloed and fragmented. And that silo, um, the, the manner in which it's siloed and the fragmentation kind of prevents or, or creates a hurdle from anyone being able to leverage it properly. And so the amazing applications that we could see built in this world were um, were disabled because of that um, particular flaw. So we started the company in an effort to solve that, uh, in an effort to think about um, as the industry grows over the next decade, how can we democratize um, everyone's ability to access and leverage this data type to to build new and interesting applications um, here on Earth? All right. So to get from point A to point B, uh, you first had to establish yourself. Um, how did it come that you established yourself to Communitech in the Waterloo region? Uh, and how would you describe your experience working with them? Yeah, so when we started the company, we started in August 2014. Uh, this was a few months after we had won the NASA Space App Challenge and had kind of contemplated and made a decision about trying to build a business in this industry. Um, there was a pro- so we started the company in Toronto, but there was a program being run out of Waterloo uh, within Communitech called the Google for Entrepreneurs program, and it was a collaboration between Communitech and Google to provide uh, very early stage startups, so like brand new startups, those are, that are even at the ideation stage, um, with space and money to build out um, their early. Um, prototypes or the early aspects of their their business. So, um, out of like something like 30 different companies, uh, we were one of six selected to enter the Google for Entrepreneurs program. Uh, we had three days' notice um, from the, from the program beginning. So within three days, I moved my entire life uh, from Toronto to Waterloo, not even knowing anybody uh, who lived here. We began the program and. Uh, uh, Google gave us office space for six months to, to get up and running, and they gave us $100,000 in uh, credits to build on their, their platform. And uh, Communitech provided all the advisory services needed to, to help us really understand what it meant to build a high-growth technology business here in, in, in Canada. Um, and all of that was, was extremely instrumental to us being who we are today and, and building the foundation of our company because – you know, prior to that, we had been, you know, working uh, on, an, on another startup out of a, a rather dilapidated apartment trying to um, figure out how we were going to make ends meet. And um, the call from Communitech and Google that we got into the program was um, probably one of the best calls we've ever received because it really put us on the trajectory of, of where we are today. Okay. Now, going from those early days to where you are t- today – your initial idea for your product is not what you're doing today, although the, the, the actual concept itself is, but the actual data sets that you were looking at back then is different than it is now. So has, as an entrepreneur, how did the decision come about to pivot away from the initial product data sets that you were doing, which was with the lot of astronomy data from NASA, into your current Earth observation intelligence data platform? Yeah, so pivoting is a key word when you're an entrepreneur, right? Uh, we, you're right. We always had the intention of doing what we do today, but we never started out doing what we do today. And I'll kind of I'll explain um, that evolution and and how we got to where we are. So um, our, our initial, so our mission has always remained the same. Our mission has always been to be the leading provider of data and intelligence from space. Uh, the way we we first thought we would approach and solve and, and um, fulfill that mission was through um, the use of our astronomy and astrophysics product, which was um, at the time uh, being adopted. We had got to the point where it was adopted by uh, 85 different universities around the world. And the thinking at the time was that as we build up more end users on our platform, we would cannibalize upwards into the ecosystem, meaning that as new satellites were being launched, particularly in astrophysics and astronomy space, we would um, put in the, the contracts or the proposals to do that work because we already had the end users that were using our applications. And so we would eventually kind of 
build our way into doing and privatizing these data management services as they were being uh, developed. Um, what you'll what you'll learn as an entrepreneur very early on is that um, targeting a space agency or any government in particular as your first customer is a, uh, a very, it's an uphill battle. And um, we didn't want to wait uh, three, four, five years to determine whether or not we would be successful in this endeavor. Um, and so our strategy, though, at the time, and we had raised a lot, some of our early um, friends and family uh, financing on, on this assumption, was that we were building the infrastructure for uh, data capture, aggregation, and uh, dissemination for astrophysics and astronomy, but it was um, it, it would at, at some point be leveraged and, and adopted into the Earth observation space, which at the time in 2014, early 2015, um, we identified was still, was still in early phases of development. And it still is today, but even then, um, we were talking about like companies were just beginning to get financed. And so some early launches hadn't happened yet. Um, and so our, our plan was always to eventually shift to you know, rather than just building data management and dissemination services for outward facing uh, instruments that were in orbit um, to then leverage that and go after the, what is really the larger opportunity, which is the emerging earth observation and commercial imaging space. Um, however, in, uh, in 2000, at the end of 2015, early 2016, we made the decision to, to switch full time to focusing on Earth observation, um, and uh, a lot of that was 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 spurred by the fact that we realized um, it was going to be an uphill battle to try to execute on the early strategy that we had, which was um, providing you know privatized data management and and um, development services for space agencies who are developing um, new satellites and new instruments to, to put into orbit. So once we turned to the commercial space, um, speed speed at which we can execute just moved uh, radically quickly. And, um, and the demand we received was overwhelming. And um, we started to realize that, you know, pretty quickly, the opportunity there was much larger than we had even originally anticipated. And the pain point that needed solving there was even stronger than we had initially uh, anticipated because we, we ran into a lot of uh, satellite operators and, and some of whom had yet to launch who, for whom, you know, building out their go-to-market or building out their, their strategy of, of distributing data was an afterthought. They were so focused on trying to get, getting their satellites up into to orbit that trying to figure out how they, you know, distribute data and enable anybody in the world to build applications um, profitably was something that they, they weren't paying attention to. And we were concerned about that as founders who, who began to care very deeply about this industry that you know, there's a lot of promise and a lot of potential. Some would call it hype, but I think it's, it's actually very um, real potential for this industry to, to have uh, like a magnificent impact on on the world, both you know, economically as well as you know through other means. But the the hurdles we saw, we realized you know the hurdles we saw, which was like largely distribution and and largely you know aggregation and dissemination. We realized we had just solved those in astrophysics, and we thought there was an opportunity for us to to apply what we knew about aggregation theory and about API access to to the Earth observation field and enable these satellite companies to launch with customers already um, and with with um, uh, with a profitable business model and, and unit unit economics that are, are profitable and have high margins. So um, all of those things really spurred and, and spawn what became of Skywatch when things began to shift in, in early 2016. All right. So I want to get a little deeper into the uh, Earth Cache platform. But before I do that, uh, since you have this big news today, it must be quite satisfying to close that initial seed round. How hard was it for you to get to this point? And what were some of the bumps in the road that you didn't expect? Uh, well, you know, it's, it was often told to me in my early stages that if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be a cockroach. And so um, the key is to survive. Surviving and resiliency is key. 
And it's not always easy because when we um, getting attention amongst the investor community in 2016, we were, you know, A, we had never built anything in this industry outside of our um, platform for astrophysics, but we had never built anything that was commercially successful in the industry. Um, but we were spouting that the way we were currently building out this industry was wrong. You know, we, we were saying that, you know, what, what was key to being able to reach new customers in underserved markets was through the case of, was, was through the business model of aggregation and, and, and very simple, easy to use APIs that will enable anyone else to build what they wanted to build. Because the thought at the time was that if you were a satellite company, you had to build almost a full vertical stack. So you had to get into areas which you were not, um, which which weren't your core competency. You had to build data management, distribution systems. You had to learn what it meant to build, you know, analytics and apply machine learning and different computer vision algorithms, and and you had to figure out how to, you know, incur all of these capital costs just to get your data to a customer who's not going to be satisfied. <clears throat> because your data only represents a small fraction of the total data that's available coming from, from orbit. And so we were coming in and saying, look, as an industry, we're doing it all wrong. What's very important is that there is an aggregator that provides very seamless to use access in order to open up new markets. And that, that thinking and that philosophy took um, a long time to really understand, to get buy-in. Um, and we weren't we weren't making up this idea of aggregation theory from scratch. I mean, we had looked at other industries where aggregation theory was very important to building up successful businesses on both sides of a particular marketplace. Um, one example of this is a company we often refer to um, or, or compare ourselves against, which is Twilio. So Twilio is a company that um, went public just a couple of years ago. Uh, and they enable any software developer in the world to integrate communications uh, features and data into a software application that they may, might be developing. So if you have ever, um, if you've ever used an Uber and received a text message when your Uber arrived, or if you've ever um, received a passcode via SMS, or if you've ever used like a, do uh, a double opt-in um, security and you've received a passcode via yeah, SMS, that's a Twilio integration that the, the, the developer or the software application builder um, used to, to enable that feature. And before Twilio, if you wanted to integrate communications um, features into your software, you would have to reach out to a company like AT&T. Your business and your technical teams would have uh, many discussions over the course of months about how an integration would work. Um, you would come, you would strike an agreement and then some work would take place. And then after a year, Congratulations, you now have an integration that can service all AT&T customers. Maybe next year we'll now focus on, on Verizon. And of course, nobody ever did that, but that was the hurdle that was faced if you wanted to integrate that, that type of communication data into your software. And then what happened was Twilio came along and they built an abstraction layer for the, the entire ecosystem. They said, look, you want to, they said this to um, developers in the business community. They said, look, you want to integrate communications features into your applications. We get that. But you don't want to be experts in the communication or telecom industry. And we get that also. So we've built this abstraction layer for you where you can, in just a few minutes, get the code you need to build an integration that will enable the communication features that you want. And Twilio took off. And there's other examples of this. You can look at a company like Stripe, which many developers and many in the technology community uh, will be familiar with, which enables you in, in just a matter of minutes to enable um, financial transactions on your website or in your application. Um, you know, they're an abstraction layer to the entire financial services industry, um, and they take care of all the hard work for you, and, and they don't force you to become an expert in how all of this works. And so we looked at that model and said, wow, like that is the key to proliferation here. Build an abstraction layer around the entire satellite ecosystem. Because sometimes, sometimes as an industry, 
we get arrogant in believing that everybody cares about what the satellite industry is doing. But the truth of the matter is, if you want to reach new and underserved markets, um, those people generally don't care about your industry and don't care to learn. In fact, it's why they're not becoming customers is because we're forcing them to learn so much in order to gain so little. And so Skywatch thought, you know, why don't we build an abstraction layer around the entire ecosystem? And with EarthCash, we started with the goal, the product goal of enabling anybody to build a satellite data integration in 15 minutes or less. And, um, and, and you know, uh, happily we, and excitingly, we achieved that um, in, in the last year. Um, in fact, you can, you can build a satellite integration into any software now in five minutes or less using our platform. So, um, yeah, that, it, it, that, that was kind of the, the, the thinking of, of, of the, the business model. I know I might have veered a little bit away from your original question, but just to give I, you some insights. I think you answered that, question four, five, and six. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So just to give you some insight into like, how we were thinking about the, the problem and, and like, how important it was um, for us to kind of bring outside thinking into, into the industry. But when you bring outside thinking into the industry, we weren't just proposing technological shifts. We were proposing business model shifts as well. And that takes time. It takes, it takes time for people to buy into that and understand that. And, and to also understand how each side of the platform is going to win long term. Um, at, at a much greater rate than, than, than if this didn't exist. So, um, yeah, it took a while, but I'm happy to say with the, the financing that we're announcing today, um, we got we got buy-in from people who rep- represent the customer side. We got buy-in from people who have built, from investors who have built platform companies before. And more importantly, we got buy-in from people who represent the space industry, you know, the Space Angels uh, Network, which just raised their first venture fund um, in late 2017. And uh, we're one of their first um, investments through that vehicle. Um, has 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 felt you know has identified that issue themselves and kind of realized that Skywatch was the missing piece to their portfolio, um, and uh, so yeah, we're we're excited. We're excited to to announce um, that kind of all the pieces are coming together and that we're, we're now not only beginning to see um, a shift. You know, the the industry is now starting to shift towards the thinking and, and the and the mission that we've been espousing all along, which is uh, very exciting. All right. So taking that back a bit um, to the funding part of it, who, who led your funding round and who are some of the funders? So the uh, the funding round was led by a firm, um, by, by two firms. One is Sinai Ventures out of New York City. Well, they're located in both New York and, and SF. They're a relatively new firm, but they've done – um, some pretty big investments. They're stage agnostic, so they've done anywhere from a five hundred thousand dollar check to a ten million dollar check. Um, and uh, they're 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 a firm that's a little less than a year old, but they had uh, they had spun out of a, a private equity firm, and so they were familiar with the use of satellite data um, on Wall Street and familiar with the use of satellite data in the New York ecosystem, and, and had a very good understanding that. Um, the solutions weren't up to the expectations of that industry. And so they they definitely understood things from the, the customer's uh, point of view. And then uh, the round was also co-led from Space Angels, who um, is the most prolific early stage investor in the space industry. And they represent, obviously, the, um, the industry side or the, you know, on our platform, what we would refer to as the supply side of our industry. And, and they have a fundamental understanding of how hard it is to build a satellite company and get your data out to customers. Um, and so, you know, they were really excited to see a platform like ours emerge where um, we provided very simple, high volume, high throughput access to a satellite operator's um, data um, at, at little distribution costs or negligible distribu- distribution costs. So um, they, um, they were very excited to, to come in and, and co-lead this investment. Uh, additionally, we had a very significant investment from Golden Venture Partners. Golden is a very um, well-known, um, highly respected Canadian venture firm here in, um, in Canada. And they're very important to bring on board um, operationally and strategically. They've built many companies 
um, from the ground up. Um, they have very, uh, a very successful portfolio. And um, we're excited because they're going to really be there to, to help us understand how we scale from where we are now up to, you know, the hundreds, if not thousands of employees in the next few years. So um, really excited to have them on board. And then additionally, uh, we have investments from uh, Techstars Ventures out of uh, the U.S. Techstars is probably um, one of the best. I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but I would say the best um, accelerator in the world. And... Um, and SK Ventures, SK Ventures does uh, seed funding amongst amongst frontier technology companies, and then we also had funding from a few angel groups as well as as well as um, many angels on uh, both coasts of the the U.S. and and um, both sides. Sorry, both coasts of the U.S., both uh, San Francisco, L.A., and New York. And um, back here again in Canada, we also had um, an investment from Global Live. And uh, Global Live is, is special to us. Uh, they were uh, they were our first check way back in our early crazy days. Um, you know when I when I talk about the strategy of um, privatizing uh, a space agency's data management services using astrophysics software, um, they bought in then. They bought in then, and um, and they're still they've still continued along for the ride and, and happily. So they're 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 great, and they've also been instrumental in our early days. So um, we built a, an amazing amazing team of investors, and we're really excited. All right, so now let's get into Earth Cash a, a little bit deeper. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously you've just raised uh, uh, quite a bit of money, um, but you had to get to this point. Um, what state is is the actual product in? Is it still, would we call it uh, beta, or is this, uh, you know, fully in production? And and my second question to go with that is, why would I want to use it? What's what, what are the use cases? Great. So we would we we do consider the product to still or the platform to still be in private beta, and for for a few reasons. Um, we we refer, internally we refer to 2017 as being the year of the demand. So, in 2017, we built up a lot of demand for our our platform. We had 3,000 companies sign up to build uh, applications, and um, the applications range in the in probably just over a thousand in terms of how unique they are. Um, and um, and additionally, we, that's kind of the two, last year. We spent the majority of our time actually building out the product and, and refining the experience around how somebody would build an integration with satellite data. Uh, 2018, and and the reason for a lot of this financing is to build out the supply side of our platform. So um, we have um, we have some amazing tools that are in the product roadmap and being developed for satellite uh, operators. They include market intelligence. They include um, customer intelligence. They include um, the ability to automate tasking capabilities. So tasking is the capability in which you can take an imaging request and then automate its capture amongst your your satellite constellation and then have that data um, fly back out to um, or or kind of be transported back out to your customers. And... um, and then we also have the ability to um, provide data hosting and management services for our for our operators. And so we're working very closely right now with not only operators but uh, ground stations as well, as well as mission control software companies, um, in order to fully automate the supply side ecosystem. Uh, the goal of 2018 was that will be, and, and what we're aiming to achieve is that you, Mark, could control an imaging satellite from your couch without any human being getting in the loop. So let's say that you want to, um, let's say that you want to obtain a new image of London, Ontario um, to monitor some sort of infrastructure development on a monthly basis. So you come onto our platform, you'll create a pipeline, you'll set, you'll kind of select the area that you're you're monitoring, um, you'll select the date range of which you want to monitor it to, and then the frequency of which you want new images of that area. And let's say you come on and you you create a pipeline where from now into the next two years, you want to monitor a particular area 
of London, Ontario to monitor some sort of uh, road developments. Um, you come on, you, you set up that pipeline. It takes just a, it takes a, about a minute or less to do that. Um, we give you a piece of code. You likely, let, let's also take a step back. Let's say that you are a, you are a developer at a company that builds infrastructure monitoring software for other enterprises, um, even for municipalities. You, so you've now set up this pipeline. <clears throat> Sorry, you've now set up this pipeline, and uh, you're going to take that code. You're going to put it into your existing software, and now your um, your software will receive those those updates on on the monthly cadence that you've uh, suggested. So what's happening behind the scenes once you've set that up, once you've created that pipeline, is all of those imaging opportunities go out to all satellite operators on our platform. Um, of whom the parameters of, of or your your requirements match their capabilities. So if you say that you want your imagery to be uh, sub meter resolution and you want it to be um, you want optical and a near infrared uh, bandwave bandwaves, um, we will send that imaging opportunity out to all satellite operators on the platform who can. Um, can uh, capture those capabilities, so sub-meter resolution and uh, optical and near-infrared uh, bandwaves. Additionally, that those imaging opportunities will be autonomously scheduled into their imaging scheduler so that it's captured at the precise moment that it needs to be um, captured, with again, with no humans intervening. That data will get captured and then it'll get, then get sent down to the ground station on an overpass where that ground station will then autonomously know to send that image right back into our platform where it will go through a processing pipeline and then out to your API endpoint for your software to pick up. No human being will, will ever be in the loop there. Um, it's, it's fully automated, um, fully intel rather intelligent, and it really brings down, as you can now see, the cost of distribution um, because the only cost now of you receiving that data is the bandwidth cost involved? Um, so that's that's the reason why it's in the reason why the platform remains in private beta today is because we're building out the supply side now in 2018 using this this funding, and um, and then you know to be to be honest and to bring it back to the customer side, uh, we have such a large volume of demand in our sales pipeline right now that um, we could probably spend the rest of the calendar year onboarding those customers and not run out of new leads or not run out of um, uh, demand to, to, to fulfill. So uh, we're quite content on, on, on both sides, but that's, those are reasons for, that's the state of the product and the reasons for, for why that is such. All right. So you answered several questions there, but uh, you did bring up one point that I want to just elaborate a little bit more, which is um, on the supply side. So you did say that 2018 is, your, is the year you're going to be working on the supply side. The part of the money that you have uh, that you've raised now is going to go towards building those uh, relationships. Um, from what I understand, what I gather on your, what was publicly available on your website is that at this time, you've got two commercial uh, providers, uh, 21st Century Aerospace Technology, uh, which is 21AT is sh the abbreviated way of saying it. Uh, they're from China. And then, you've, of course, you've got SI Imaging Services from South Korea. And you have a lot of uh, public data sources such as European Space Agency, NASA, uh, U.S. Geological Survey, uh, and, of course, uh, um, JAXA from Japan. So from what I can tell, this is like 16 data sets from 19 satellites. Uh, the press release that you sent out today said you're negotiating distribution rights with more than 30 satellite operators. Um, where are you at in terms of uh, adding these new data sources and um, how soon do you think you'll be signing on some more of these new uh, satellite operators, in particular the commercial? Uh yeah, uh, great point. So in 2017, we, for obvious cost reasons, we built the customer-facing part of the product experience using a lot of open data, um, a lot of experimenting, a lot of testing. And now that we think we, we've got 
that pretty, pretty solid and we have a good foundation there. Um, but we're ready now to start um, ingesting more commercial data sets. Now we did, as you mentioned, have two commercial data partners available on the platform to, through 2017, um, but it was a very controlled um, experiment. Uh, as the as you mentioned, we now have um, negotiations in place with over uh, 30 um, satellite operators. The majority of the world's um, satellite operators, both presently in orbit and planning to launch within the next two years. So our um, our aim is to get all 30 satellite operators on the platform by the end of the calendar year. I mean, rather you know as quickly as possible. Um, but there's a lot of unforeseeable um, hurdles or challenges that could arise because we could, for example, uh, end up in a, in, in a scenario where uh, we don't we don't fully understand or comprehend the amount of data that somebody might want to bring onto the platform, the the technical difficulties in, in, associated with their image processing um, needs. So. Um, that's why it's still a private beta is because there's still so much to learn on both sides of the platform because we do like as an aggregator, we do take all of these data sets and we do bring them to a standardized format for our end user. So that conversion and its difficulty has different variances across um, different providers. So there's a few unknowns, but I think once we get to the point where we might have uh, 10 to 15 operators, um, fully integrated onto the platform, uh, we may be at that point ready um, or satisfied enough to, to bring the the uh, platform out of the private beta. Now, you brought up a, a really good point, and it's actually a point I brought up with a, a satellite manufacturer many years ago uh, at a conference, and they were going to come out with this constellation, and I asked them about the actual data and the volume of data. And, um, you know, I don't think people really quite understand the volume of data that is being generated and will be generated uh, by these Earth observation satellites. As you integrate these new uh, operators and you're, you say you're bringing in their, their data sets, how, how do you deal with the, the vast array of data and, and, and how do you scale it so that you can actually handle it all? Uh, great question, uh, and you're right. There's there's a lot of data. We're, we're expecting um, terabytes a day, and eventually probably petabytes uh, a month. The uh, the key to scaling. So one is you know to, to have scalability in mind once you once you begin building your infrastructure. So because we're so new, we've we've had that um, that that advantage. So we started building our platform on uh, the Google Cloud platform. We eventually migrated most of what we do onto um, Amazon Web Services. And uh, we built in a uh, what's known in the software development world as a microservices architecture. And um, we, we build with the intention of uh, most, if not all, of our infrastructure being serverless. Now, I don't want to get too deep into um, a technical dis discussion around um, software or software infrastructure. It probably won't be too important to your audience, but um, microservices and, and serverless um, methods of, of infrastructure development are relatively new. They, they've kind of began to develop over the last, uh, really, they've really came into the mainstream in the last uh, few years, but um, what microservices does, it allows you to um, easily, you know, kind of rather than have one large monolithic um, architecture that um, has a lot of like has a lot of faults and, and can be um, susceptible to to breaking at, at, at any inflection point in the infrastructure. Microservices breaks down your architecture into these hundreds of different um, what are known as microservices that speak to each other, but kind of provide that barrier where one um, one gets a one receives a bug or, or there's a fault or an error with one particular microservice, it's isolated from affecting the rest of the infrastructure. Uh, in addition to that, uh, the microservices architecture also scare, scales very well. So let's say we have a, an ingestion microservices, uh, microservice. We can, if ingestion is increasing, we can just scale out our ingestion microservices rather than having to scale out 
the entire infrastructure or more monolithic uh, parts of our infrastructure. In addition, we do this through uh, serverless methods. And serverless is a relatively new phenomenon in, uh, in infrastructure development um, enabled by cloud computing. But what it essentially allows is a, a script or a piece of software to run without being hosted, um, virtually speaking, on, a, on an actual service. So in, in the old days, and when I'm saying old days, I'm talking like four or five years and then beyond. Um, even when I started Skywatch, this is how we, we did this um, in the old days. When you wanted to build a piece of software and, and make it available to the internet, you, you, you hosted it on a server, and that server had to continuously run. Uh, serverless is the idea of um, building software that only runs when a call is made to ignite it and start it up. So it, it's actually, so every computation that the software makes and every processing, any processing that the software makes is related specifically or is, is tied specifically to demand from an event needing that processing. So meaning that if, if, um, if uh, as opposed to having a large server that's running uh, uh, 24-7, if we only need that server to make 100 seconds worth of calculations a day, um, rather than running for the full 24 hours, it only is sparked up and runs for 100 seconds in that day. Um, this is extremely cost efficient, and, and you know you get those margins now back on, on when you're when you're um, distributing the data. Um, but it also scales really well because the the beauty of being serverless is as the demand for computation increases. Um, you don't have to spin up more servers. You just leverage the AWS serverless functionality to to in parallel run these these programs. So you know it, it's a it's sort of an abstraction that uh, Amazon has created um, the the tool or sorry the the product that uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with. It's called you know AWS Lambda, which is you know their server their serverless functionality. And so that's a really key component for us in being able to scale at a, at a cost that is fractional to what somebody building a traditional software architecture might scale at. So um, when we moved from being a, a more traditional uh, architecture to being serverless and, and to our current microservices architecture, uh, our, our AWS bill dropped by 10x. So we, we pay one-tenth of what we did previous. And, and that's huge because all of that, as I mentioned Previously, the costs associated with distributing on our platform are related to bandwidth costs for the most part, and so even there we have we have innovated and brought down the price um, 10x to the point where you have margins. And not only that, but think about the unit economics capabilities here, because we can now tie how much it costs to process a square kilometer directly to the the lambda cost or the AWS lambda cost that it that it took us to run that function. And then we can start to understand how those unit economics scale as our platform scales. So it's, uh, you know, we're, we're, I think we're lucky. Timing has been very lucky for us. Uh, we're, we're just lucky to have just started the, the development of our infrastructure at, at a point in time where these services were becoming available and becoming mainstream on cloud platforms like AWS. Hi, I have one sort of last technical related question, if you will, and the rest are, 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 are pretty simple business questions. Um, how does machine learning and artificial intelligence fit into your business plan, if at all, at this point? Uh, so it's a, it's a very important discussion that we had, we've, had, uh, we've had a lot internally. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, it's um, you know definitely buzzwords in, in today's um, ecosystem and, and even more so in, in the space of satellite imaging and satellite data intelligence. Uh, but rightly so. I mean, a lot of the, the value that we're beginning to derive from satellite data is coming from the development of computer vision algorithms, with, which can do object and feature detection in these images and then extract intelligence in that manner. Um, but, you know, we had, to, when, we were, when we were making a, when we were beginning to, to develop the company in the very early stages, we had to make a decision where we could go down that route of developing machine learning algorithms, but we didn't want to. When you 
it's important to realize that when you do that, you you develop a lot of um, resources and you dedicate a lot of resources to solving a particular challenge within a particular um, market or, or vertical. Meaning that you know if if I if I wanted to you know identify cars in a, in a parking lot, it takes a long time for me to develop an accurate um, algorithm just to first you know at a high accuracy extract how many cars are in a particular satellite image, and then to to develop the intelligence around how to actually package that and sell it to a particular vertical, um, leveraging machine intelligence on top of satellite data. You have to spend a lot of time and resources to perfect that and get it right. And as we mentioned earlier, or as we discussed earlier, there are thousands of potential use cases here. So what we became more concerned about was how can we enable those thousand use cases to get developed in order for um, a quicker and, and faster adoption of this technology um, longer term. So we, we made a decision not to um, apply machine learning or any sort of computer vision or artificial intelligence, but rather find customers who are looking for these data sets in order to service a particular industry. So we have algorithm developers that, um, that service Wall Street. We have algorithm developers that service the agriculture industry, and we have uh, agriculture, uh, sorry, we have algorithm developers that also service market intelligence companies. So we are, we are empowering these algorithm developers to build um, out their services and their applications without them having to uh, spend too much mo- uh, time or money on trying to figure out where they're going to get the data from. Um, or how to create the, the right business deals to, to accumulate that data. So we provide them with that single API point that allows them to, to focus on what it is they want to do, which is build their, their algorithms, their applications, and the, the products and services that they take to their own markets. All right. So um, now I just have a couple of really simple questions, but questions nonetheless that I think new space companies or 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 people who are interested in your company would be uh, interested in. Uh, I visited your uh, modest office space last summer. With this funding, are you staying in the same spot or are you moving to a larger space in Waterloo? We're anticipating moving to a large spot, in, uh, a larger office space in uh, the summer. We're, we're actually um, in, the, in the middle right now of, of looking at a potential few um, offers and, and acquiring a a space that would bring us to about 60 to 80 employees. Um, so uh, the anticipation is to, to move in um, in the next six to nine months. So uh, not right away, but but soon. We, we definitely, we're, we're at, we, we've grown at the seams with uh, um, the current office space that we're at right now, that's for sure. But, um, but we are trying to resolve that situation, but uh, hopefully soon. And how many people are actually working at Skywatch now? So today we have, uh, we just hired our 20th employee and um, we plan to make about six more hires up into the summer and, um, and then uh, potentially double the headcount again from the summer to the end of 2018 with, um, with some more, uh, likely some more financing that we'll do in the, the middle of the year to, to keep up with the growth. Uh, and I'm sort of making my own assumption here that you're going to be building out your sales force. Uh, yeah, so we do have um, uh, our sales and marketing team is actually pretty um, pretty efficient right now, as is. Um, we have three um, three people that make up sales and marketing. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a, a large funnel, uh, a large sales funnel. So there's a lot of upkeep and maintenance that's involved there. Um, we intend to to ramp up our, our sales force over the coming year. Uh, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, by, by how much we need to, because by nature, uh, development products are, are generally great products um, that, that gain organic growth through word of mouth, um, historically speaking. So um, hopefully a great product will speak for itself and um, much of sales and marketing's job will be to, to handle the influx of, of leads. But the challenge will definitely... Uh, to take on as we get there. 
So one of your challenges, obviously, in building out the comedy company is funding. You just closed this uh, major uh, round of funding. Uh, but um, do you start working on the next round of funding right away? Or are you just going to spend the next X number of months or, you know, s- focusing solely on building out the product? Mark, as a, as a founder, you're always fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Realistically speaking, I'll, uh, I look forward to, to getting back to the, the nitty gritty of, of the business. Um, but I, I think it, it will be a rather short turnaround before I'm, I'm back out there full time again. Um, 30, you know, hosting and managing 30 plus satellite operators is, uh, is a pretty Herculean task and, and, and definitely one that calls for more than uh, $4 million of, uh, of capital. So um, I can imagine I'll be back out there soon, which is um, exciting for our company, less exciting for me. Fundraising is not a fun process, um, even though fun's in the name. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a rather arduous and uh, an exhausting and stressful one. So um, nonetheless, we do have plans to, to continue to bring capital into the company over the course of the calendar year. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a necessary part of, of you know, building what I would call an aggregator, um, a company that needs to, to gain a, a particular critical mass in order to provide the economies of scale that really make the, the system work well. And do you foresee, um, because there might be some people interested, uh, the public participating in an initial public offering at some point? I think that would be the goal. I think the opportunity that lies ahead of us is one of the largest opportunities in the space industry. And, um, and if we are successful and we execute according to plan, we, we end up building one of the most important data companies in the world. And so um, I think as a result of that, you, you go public. Um, it, it's certainly down the road, though. I wouldn't anticipate such a thing for another five plus years. So um, right now we're just focused on, 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 on the scale up phase. Um, but we, 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 we do look forward to, um, to a long-term uh, <laughs> liquidity event for, for all involved, uh, for those who have helped us get here, as well as for those who wish to participate um, down the road. Now, you're a Canadian company based out of Waterloo, but you're talking about uh, integrating uh, data from, uh, you know, potentially 30 satellite operators globally. How do you deal with issues of sensitive data? data which governments might consider mm, that shouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, something commercially uh, available. And and it may be something that's commercially available in a country, but now we're talking crossing borders here where let's say you have a, a European country and you're based in Canada. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a great question. It's one that we've, we've thought a lot about. And uh, I think uh, luckily it's, it's a problem that can be um, easily solved. Um, through the platform itself. So there, you know, there are satellite operators w- uh, in which the jurisdiction they operate in does not allow them to sell or provide data to other particular countries. And there's also laws around the, the resolution of the data that you can sell and the threshold that you cannot exceed in selling on an open market, as well as um, areas of the world that certain governments are uh, put off limits towards being imaged and sold. So uh, in in all three cases, though, the laws are are very clear and completely implemented into the platform. So if you are a United States company and you cannot sell data to company or or to a company in country A, B, or C, um, then just technically speaking, we ensure that company A, B, or C never have visibility or access to your, to your data sets. It's a, it's a feature with It's a security feature within the, the, the platform that can easily resolve those things. And we can allow the, the satellite operator to manage which countries uh, have access through the, the platform um, alone. Uh, additionally, um, if they can't image particular areas of, of the world, then um, those coordinates are, are made available and uh, they get filtered out through the distribution process. And then, of course, um, the imaging itself and, and the resolution, well, those laws are, are adhered to before the, the sensors ever launched. So it's, it's part of them gaining uh, licensing. So 
there, there are those, those issues exist, but they're, well, you know, this is actually the, you know, you have the opposite problem in the drone industry. In the satellite industry, these, these rules are well established and understood, and so they're easy to build for. In the drone industry, and we have lots of drone um, operators that come to our platform wanting to make the data available, but right now in terms of laws and around the understanding of the laws that, that, that um, govern uh, drone imagery and data, it, it, it's the Wild West right now. So it, it'll take some time for that particular industry to, to um, uh, come to grips and an understanding and, and to kind of consolidate how it looks at the dissemination of particular um, imagery sets. But in the satellite industry, we're, we're very lucky that these rules and these laws are already established and, and very clear. All right. Um, based on what I've heard today, I think I already know the answer to this question, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask it, uh, considering the type of company you are. Have you considered putting up your own Earth observation satellites? <laughs> um, uh, no, uh, I mean, we've obviously been asked the question and the answer is no, we're, we're a software company. Uh, we think it's very important to maintain a platform that is uh, vendor, what we call vendor neutral, meaning that it's an equal playing field for all satellite operators. But, you know, satellites aren't our, our expertise. Um, data management and distribution is, uh, we have some of the, the, the country's best data engineers and, um, and data architects uh, within our company. And that's what we focus on and that's what we do uh, very well, better than most people in the country, never mind uh, the industry. So um, that's where we, we remain focused and, and will continue to remain focused on um, in the foreseeable future and, and um, if I have it my way forever. All right, last question. Um, you know, in three and a half years, you've accomplished quite a bit. Uh, it sounds like you're building out uh, an incredible platform. Um, so as a new space company and an entrepreneur, what advice do you have for people who want to start a new space company? Ooh, that's a good one. The, uh, you know, the, the advice I shared uh, at the beginning of our conversation, uh, be resilient, be a cockroach. It's a, it's a very important one. Um, but also, I think what you have to realize if you want to start a company in new space, uh, you first have to identify whether it's going to be capital intensive or not. And, uh, if you're on the hardware side of things, which you know 90% or 95% of the industry is, it, it is going to be capital intensive. Uh, the, I think the one of the only exceptions to this rule that I can think of in terms of requiring outside capital to build your business would be, you know, NanoRacks, who you spoke with, I think late last year. Uh, they did a great job of of kind of revenue funding their business from from the get go. But that's a that's a, an exception to the rule in, in our industry. Um, you're going to need capital, and you're going to. I think what what investors uh, have been weary of when it comes to investing in space is that the enthusiasm for the technology is always outweighs the enthusiasm for the business model. And if you're going to raise capital to to fund something that is very capital intensive, you need to have enthusiasm for the business model, and you need to develop an acumen in which. Um, you can provide confidence to outside investors that your strategy is one that could be executed on. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, in space, it, it's becoming an ine inevitability in terms of uh, what are the things that are going to get done and what is the technology that is going to allow us to achieve that technology is going to continue to develop. But technology is never a concern in building a business. Um, the concern is just always, have, have you really, really thought through the economics? So if you're going to start a business, um, you know, start with thinking about the, particularly in, 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 in new space where you know, the, the challenge you have in new space that you don't have in other industries for the most part is that it's such a new industry that you have to make a lot of assumptions. So if you're going to make a lot of assumptions, you have to spend a lot of time um, validating and, and, and building up proofs to back those assumptions. Um, so spend time doing that and, and um, the technology will, will develop it. The, te the technology is more of an inevitability than, than the capital is, that's for sure. Um, at least, you know, that's my perspective on, 
on which companies I see successfully fundraise and, and, and which uh, fail to. It's, it's usually a difference in, in philosophy around where they put the most emphasis. Um, so, you know, you have a Herculean task in building a, a new space company. You're, you're claiming to do something of which market research does not really exist, at least not with, with high confidence. So you have to build a lot of assumptions and you have to continue to prove and validate those assumptions and, uh, and be resilient. It's, uh, it's an industry that, uh, in which you need to be patient. Okay. Well, on that note, I want to thank James for being my guest on, on the Space Cube podcast. Uh, as your company develops, I hope we'll get you on a future show. Of course, Mark. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spacecube.ca or you can post them on our website at spacecube.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook at The SpaceQ. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn at Mark K. Boucher, and if we're connected, you'll get SpaceQ articles and the podcast notification in your newsfeed. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing review if you're so inclined. Inclined.